This is your life. That was the name of a popular television show that ran from 1952 to 1961, hosted by a man named Ralph Edwards. In that show, the host would surprise a guest and then proceed to take them through their life in front of an audience, including friends and family. He would surprise each guest by narrating a biography of, of the subject. The show alternated in presenting life stories of entertainment personalities and ordinary people who had contributed in some way to their communities. Now what was interesting about this show and what made it so appealing is how they would take all the pieces of a person's life and weave them together to present a complete and moving and compelling story. As a matter of fact, the idea for This Is Your Life came about when Ralph Edwards was working on another show. He was approached by the U.S. Uh, Army to do something about uh, paraplegic soldiers at a California Army Rehab Hospital. Edwards chose a particularly despondent young soldier and hit on the idea of presenting his life on the air in order to integrate the wreckage of the present with his happier past and the promise of a hopeful future. And when they shared that portrait of this soldier, people were greatly moved and the show was birthed. Well, this is your life. The life that you're living right now is your one life. And I want you to understand that God is doing something presently in your life and he's done something in your past, and he's going to do something in your future. He's weaving all of that together for your good and for his glory. But we've got to have eyes to see that and understand what he is up to. And if we understand what he's up to, it'll change the way we look at our lives. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. We continue our study through this wonderful Old Testament book. We'll begin reading in verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. I want to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The Bible says there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with, and with you one of the servants and arise, go search for the donkeys. He passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious for us. He said to him, Behold, now there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor. 
all that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Then Saul said to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone from our sack, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God, and he will tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, Come and let us go to the seer, for he who was called a prophet now was formerly called a seer. Then in verse 10, Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the slope to the city, they found young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered them and said, He is. See, he is ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today. For the people have a sacrifice in the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes. Because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for you will find him at once. So they went up to the city, and as they came into the city, behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the high place. Now, a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. Let's pray together. Father, we pause to acknowledge your great name and to ask for your help. We understand and believe with all of our hearts that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So, Holy Spirit of God, would you come and move in our midst? Would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see clearly the truths of Scripture? And God, I pray that you'd give us the grace to adjust our lives, to come into a greater conformity with, with you, with your agenda, with your heart, with your will, and with your way. Father, have your way in our midst as we praise your great name. Lord, establish my steps in your word, for we ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Even though the nation of Israel was living in rebellion during the time of the judges, God was not through with his people. That's what we learn as we see the story of 1 Samuel unfold. Uh, he intervened by removing the wicked spiritual leadership and raising up a new spiritual leader named Samuel. However, when Samuel grew older and his sons proved to be dishonest leaders, the people decided that they wanted a king. Just like all the nations around them, they wanted a king to rule them. We learned last week that their desire for a king was a rejection of God's ultimate authority over them. They were rejecting God by wanting a king like all the other nations had. So we see at the end of chapter 8, God's going to give them what they wanted. He was going to give them a king to teach them a lesson that he is to be their ultimate authority. and He is the great ruler of humanity. But after God decides to give them what they want, it's interesting to note that God doesn't just fade into the background. We see in chapter 9 that God is still on the move. God is still at work. God is orchestrating and, and working to bring about His ways and to bring about His will 
for the nation of Israel and ultimately for all of humanity. He graciously continues to be involved in the affairs of the nation of Israel, even though they had rejected his authority. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at chapter 9, and I want us to see two truths about God, and if we understand these truths, they'll change the way we look at our lives. Two truths about God, they'll change the way we look at our own lives. Truth number one is this, as we're thinking about our lives, this is your life. God is always at work to accomplish His purposes. God is always at work to accomplish His purposes. We see the story unfold here. Uh, Saul's father uh, notices that some donkeys are missing, so he sends out his son Saul to look for these donkeys with a servant. They go from, from village to village, and they can't find the donkeys, and finally they come to a village where Samuel is, and and, and the servant says, well, listen, I know about this guy named Samuel. He, he, can, he can tell you what's going to happen. He can see the future because Samuel spoke on behalf of God and would prophesy on behalf of God. And so they go and talk to Samuel. But before they get there to talk to Samuel, notice that God had already intervened in Samuel's life. Look what it says in verse 15. Now, the day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. And so God intervenes in Samuel's life to say, listen, you're going to meet a man tomorrow from Benjamin, and he's going to be the next king. You're going to anoint him the, the first king, not the next king, the first king of the nation of Israel. So we see that even though Israel wanted a king, they wanted to do the wrong thing and be like the nations around them, God doesn't just step away and let things unfold. God continues to work and work out His plan. You see, the testimony of Scripture is that God is always up to something in human history. God is always up to something in human history. Some people view God as this distant, detached, uninvolved deity that has His arms crossed, just kind of watching the world unfold. But that is not the picture that the Bible presents at all. The Bible presents a God who is actively and intimately, in, intimately involved in history, actively and intimately involved in your life and my life, that God is not detached. God is, is actively working, always working in human history. He is perfectly planned and is expertly executing His plan of redemption to save people that need to be saved, which is all of us. And here's the interesting thing. Our failures and weaknesses do not doom God's plans. Our failures and weaknesses do not doom God's plans. Israel blew it in chapter 8. They rejected the theocracy. They rejected God being their king. They blew it. And yet God is still going to carry on His purposes. God is still going to protect and preserve the nation of Israel so that one day He could send through that chosen nation a Messiah, a king of kings named Jesus who would die for our sins. So even though Israel blew it and made a poor decision, God is still going to send a savior. God is still going to fulfill his plan. Even though they were sinful, even though they messed up, God's plan was not doomed. You see, some people may walk away from chapter 8 where God says, okay, we'll give them a king. They may walk away from that chapter saying, well, God is relinquishing control. He gave the people what they wanted and threw up his hands in 
resignation, but that is not the case. God is still in perfect control, sovereignly, providentially working out His plan to send humanity a Savior. See, some people think, well, if we don't come through, God's plans are doomed. Wrong answer. God's going to accomplish His plan and His purpose, listen, with or without us. With or without us. He's sovereign. He's in control. And when the dust settles on human history, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where everything is headed. And even though we blow it sometimes, God's plan is not derailed. Here's the deal. God's doing His thing. We can either be on the sidelines and miss out on what He is doing, or we can be an active part. We can be used by God to accomplish those sovereign plans. If you look there on your notes, we should desire to be a part of what God is doing in the world. I mean, if this is true, if God is always at work to accomplish His purposes, if that's true, we should have a desire to be a part of that, right? It's incomprehensible that we know God's at work, and yet we say, I don't want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. I'm just going to do my own thing in my own little corner of life, and God, you do your thing, and, and uh, I'll, you know, I'll kind of cheer you on, but I don't want to be a part of that. That's incomprehensible. A Christ follower should want to be a part of what God is doing. One of my favorite examples of this is found over in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet of God, and, and the Lord gave Isaiah this wonderful vision of the throne room of heaven. And Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, seated on his throne. The train of his robe is filling the temple. The thresholds of the temple are shaking in view of the holiness of God. He has this beautiful view, this beautiful, fresh vision of God. God exalted. The angels are, are flying around the throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of His glory. It's, it's a, an, an awesome scene. And then, as Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God, he says, Uh-oh, God is holy and perfect, and I'm not. I'm a... I'm a man of unclean lips, he says, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I've seen the Lord, and, and, and I'm not worthy to be in His presence. Uh-oh! But then God gives him a symbolic gesture, shows him a symbolic gesture to show him what salvation is all about. He has an angel fly to the, to the, to the altar, and he removes a hot coal, and the angel takes that hot coal and, and touches Isaiah's lips. Isaiah said, I'm unclean, I'm a sinner, and yet God says, I'm going to purify you. You know, heat purifies, and that hot coal spoke of purification. It was all foreshadowing Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood, and his blood washing away, purifying us from our sin, right? And so, think about this. Isaiah has this fresh vision of God, seated on his throne. He experiences the wonderful purification of God by God's grace, and what comes next? God says, I'm doing something in the world. I've got a message for Israel. A message of judgment, but also a message of hope. And Isaiah says, overcome by this view of God, overcome by the grace of God, he says, here am I. Send me. Lord, if you have a message, I want to be the messenger. 
Where has that volunteer spirit gone in the body of Christ today? People that have seen a fresh vision of God, people that have experienced the incredible, amazing grace of God that say, Lord, if you're doing something, I want to be a part of it. If you've got a message, I want to be a messenger. Messenger. 